So Peter Gilmore runs a church in Poughkeepsie, New York. And uh, on This American Life, he explains to Ira Glass, he says, ours is a philosophical position that promotes individuality, liberty, joy, and self-expression. We believe that you should seek to be the best you that you can be, whatever that might be. But if you reach a comfortable level, enjoy the comfort. Now, it sounds like a, a reasonable belief, not particularly Christian, but not particularly wild either. You could just summarize this mission statement with the phrase, you do you. But what if I told you the name of this church in Poughkeepsie, New York, is the Church of Satan? And that Peter Gilmore is the satanic high priest of that church. And the quote actually begins not with the word ours, but with the word Satanism. Satanism, he says, is a philosophical position with a high priest and a church and an object of worship. So that is, in fact, a lie. But he says Satanism is a philosophical position that promotes individuality, liberty, joy, and self-expression, dot, dot, dot. If you reach a comfortable level, just enjoy the comfort. At least he's very faithful to his text. If you turn with me briefly to Luke chapter 4, You'll see Satan himself say the same thing. At Luke 4, 1, Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. You've had nothing to eat. You must be hungry. You must be really uncomfortable says Satan to Jesus, if you're really the son of God, you should be comfortable. To which Jesus responds, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. In other words, there are far more fundamental things than food. There are far more fundamental things in this world than just comfort. And if you want to understand what Jesus means, if you look closely at the text, you'll see what he says first is, it is written. And we know, don't we, that whenever we see a phrase like that, it is written, we should say, where? Where is it written? Because if we can find out where it is written, we can read the quote in context and understand more easily the point that Jesus wants to make. It is written in Deuteronomy 8. And let's turn to it. Not so much jumping around today, mostly in Deuteronomy 8. And as you turn to it, you'll discover that Deuteronomy 8 is another wilderness text. Jesus, wilderness, 40 days. Deuteronomy, wilderness, 40 years. Clearly, there's a link. You can see why Jesus might be thinking about it. And we read in, in Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, that back in the day, God made his people uncomfortable so that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. We're just going to unpack that idea. Why? Why would God want you to be uncomfortable? Why would a good God do that? Uh, back in the day, having escaped Egypt, having got away from Pharaoh, having gone through the Red Sea, which parted and then closed in again on their enemies, having received the Ten Commandments, while Moses is, is up there receiving the Ten Commandments, the people are down at the bottom of the mountain going after other gods. They build a golden calf. 
They worshipped that. Then the camp was overrun with snakes. God gave them a weird stick. He said, look at the stick. It'll make the snakes go away. They ended up worshipping the weird stick. They grumbled about thirst, so God provided water for them from a rock. Then they grumbled about the food, so God provided for them food. He gave them bread, manna from heaven, miraculously would just appear on the ground overnight as they slept. My friend Yair is the rabbi here in Fox Chapel. He told me, he just calls me up, he tells me stuff. I write it down. All of it preaches. And he says there's Jewish midrash. So not scripture, just rabbinical commentary, really. Ancient story. That uh, as, the, as the people in the wilderness ate the bread, they could imagine that it was anything they liked and it would taste exactly like it. So you want pizza for dinner. But you can't agree. Your wife wants Chinese and the kids want ice cream. It is. I said to Yaya, I said, do you think it's true? He said, probably not. <laughs> but it's consistent with the character of God, he said, is it not? This idea of, of this sort of blessing tailor-made for you. Deuteronomy 8.14 recounts this story so succinctly. Don't forget, it says, the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock and who fed you in the wilderness with manna. Why might Satan want you to be comfortable? Because he wants you to forget. He wants you to forget God. It's amazing how often in Deuteronomy 8 this word forget appears over and over again. Satan wants you to forget about God. And as you do, knowing that you will start to live your life without reliance on God, he knows it's only a matter of time before you live your life without reference to God either. Comfortable people forget about God. Verse 3 says, That's why God let you hunger and fed you with manna. That's why God made them uncomfortable. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, there's the quote from Christ, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So when Satan comes up to Jesus and says, hey, you know, you should be comfortable. You know, look, you're the son of man, if you are. Make some bread. What he's doing is he's tempting Christ into comfort. And when Jesus quotes the passage, what he's saying is that he's aware that sometimes suffering can actually have a purpose. Sometimes God does a thing with our discomfort. Again, God says in verse 11, we're still in Deuteronomy, take care lest you forget. He says, don't forget, and then he says, don't forget. Why does he say don't forget? Because they've forgotten not to forget. Verse 12, lest when you've eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them. And verse 13, when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you will forget the Lord your God. Comfort makes us forget. Now, we only need to look around the world, don't we, to see that this is, in fact, true. A 2010 study by Pew Research found that in the last 100 years, Christianity in modern Western Europe has more than halved. But at the same time, in sub-Saharan Africa, 
Christianity has grown 20-fold. So we can see that this is true. The, the more comfortable we become, the more we forget about God. So at this point, Satan slithers up. And he says, all right, all right, all right, you got me. I concede. Having too much comfort, that's a bad thing, because you'll forget about God. So really what you need is just a little comfort, just a little more. The high priest, Gilmore, from the Church of Satan, continues his quote, if you reach a comfortable level, just enjoy the comfort. You select the pleasures to indulge in, but rationally. Don't overdo anything to bring harm on yourself or anyone else around you. Satan's fallback lie is simple, that you can reach a modest level of comfort, and that level of comfort will be enough. You don't need too much. And you're so nearly there. You're so nearly at that place that you need to be in in order to be comfortable. You just need to work a little tiny bit harder. You just need to save a little bit more. You just need to invest that little bit more wisely. And then you'll hit that sweet spot of comfort and you will have arrived. That's not what Deuteronomy says either. Deuteronomy says that when God gave them that bread from heaven, the manna that lay on the ground, there were some rules about the bread. Quite simply, gather it and eat it. And that is it. And they were told not to hoard the bread, but simply to gather what they needed each day and eat what they needed each day. And they were told as well not to worry because God would always provide more the next day. He would give them that day their daily bread. They ignored it and it went rotten. So God attacked the hoard. God went for the thing that they'd invested and hoarded. And sometimes a good God will do this. If you've made a thing into your God, if you've made a thing into your security, and God really loves you, he will attack that thing and get rid of it because that thing has become, as we sung in our opening hymn, an idol that needs to be dethroned. And then God said to them, having attacked the hoard, he said, you guys, you're exhausted with all this work. You need a day off. And he's training them now in the wilderness to, to rest. If they don't learn how to rest in the wilderness where there's almost nothing to do, they are never going to be able to rest in the promised land when they have all of this plenty. Uh, basically, uh, if they get to the promised land without having learned to rest, they're going to be like those hungry hippos in the board game, just constantly gobbling things up, and they'll never get a break. If they don't learn to stop, they never will. The more we have now, the more we can rest later, is another one of Satan's lies. A recent study by New York University found that wealthy American man, and in particular man, not woman, it, it, the, the peak of global historical success is also the workaholic of the world. In the last 30 years, leisure time for American men has uh, especially successfully educated American men has fallen by 10 hours a month. We simply have 10 hours less leisure than the generation uh, above. And that was already, back then, the worst in the world. So on the Sabbath eve, God says to them in the wilderness, 
hungry hippos. Chill out. Just calm down, will you? I'll give you a double portion today, special rule. It won't go rotten. You could just eat off your investment this special day. What did they do? They woke up on the Sabbath, they went out to work, and then they grumbled and shook their fist at the sky, and they said, where's all the bread? If you believe this lie that you just need a little more, just a little bit more work, and you'll have enough, then you'll never have enough. Many of us are addicted to our work. I once talked with a couple. Uh, you don't know them. I'm not betraying any confidences. But I was doing marriage prep with them. I didn't marry them. They're from a different place. But they were engaged to be married. I was preparing them to be married. And, and I asked them a kind of question I always ask young couples before they get married. And that is, you know, is there anything you want to talk about now before it's too late? Anything you want to kind of just get out there. And so we don't bake this into your marriage, but we deal with it at the beginning. And, and she said, yes, there is something I'd, I'd like to talk about. She turned to her fiancé and she said, you're always working. You're always checking the stock markets. You're always on that app on your phone all the time. Uh, sometimes it, it feels to me, she said, like you're cheating on me with the stock market. Sometimes I feel ignored, she said, and I ask you a question, but you're so focused on that app. It sometimes feels to me as though you love that more than you love me. He said, but this is how I love you. This is me loving you. I need to be on top of it all the time, he said, because this is how I'm going to keep you safe. Imagine taking all of that burden into a marriage. Imagine the weight of that on that guy's shoulders. That his job, it's all down to him. And it's right at this vulnerable moment. Some of us feel exposed, don't we, right now? Some of us are addicted to our work and addicted to the stock market. It's right at this vulnerable moment where we're not quite sure if this feels right, that Satan creeps up to us again and attacks again. And he says, all right, all right, you got me. I concede. You know, too much comfort. That's a problem. And I concede that, you know, even a little bit of comfort is a problem because you'll never really have enough. So I guess if you're going to be a good Christian, you're just going to have to suck it up and suffer because clearly God never wants you to be comfortable at all. You get nothing. Now, this also is a lie. We know this because verse 7 says, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks and water, of fountains and springs, flowing out of the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, food talk in a wilderness, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. God's desire for you is not merely comfort, it is abundance. And the purpose of the wilderness, the purpose of discomfort, of suffering, is to train you to be able to handle it. So that when they have it, they will never forget where it came from. Verse 17 says, beware. Look out, watch out. Caution. Big red triangle sign. 
lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. Quite simply, part of the purpose of this suffering and this hardship is God training them to handle plenty when it comes. And so as that is exposed, Satan slithers up again, and he says, okay, you got me again. Wow, I'm on the ropes today. Good things are coming, after all. The problem is you won't be able to handle it. You're not holy enough for good things. Now, I think this is a tension that any one of us living in this town is just going to have to live with. We're going to know it very well. Uh, This is one of the most economically diverse school districts in the United States. And so what that means is we're going to encounter all sorts of people who have more than we do. And sometimes they will have way more than we do. And we'll also encounter people who have less than we do, and some of them will have vastly less than we do. We can encounter both types of people in one day. And Satan has a field day with that kind of dynamic. We are especially vulnerable to these lies in an environment like this. Uh, We once uh, went to a friend's house for a child's fifth birthday party. And the party cost about four times what our wedding cost. And uh, they were so well off that Frank Lloyd Wright had designed for them a waterfall that flowed through one of their living rooms and down through a luge into their pool house that was bigger than our parish hall. And, uh, but, you know, of all the things that I experienced in that beautiful house, you know what got me? There's always, always going to be a thing, isn't there? The thing that got me, that stopped me in my tracks, and that just opened me up to Satan's field day, was a doorknob. It was heavy. It was a really heavy doorknob. And it was buttery smooth. The, the, uh, the action felt like it had been designed by Bill Wilson. And I remember uh, coming home to my own doorknob, just opening the door. <laughs> it was rubbish. It's like, this is a horrible doorknob. Um, like all all the, the, the veneer had peeled off the doorknob. And, and like you could twist it before anything moved inside. It was just so loose, lightweight, wobbly, low-grade doorknob. I had, in that very moment, the most profoundly deep and rotten moment of doorknob envy. <laughs> and you know, it just epitomized so much to me, this thing. Satan went to work. You'll never have a knob like that. <laughs> of course, the same day, the same day, I went down to McDonald's to, to meet a homeless guy. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, to get me dinner. I went down to McDonald's to uh, meet a homeless guy that I'd been counseling. And, uh, I, you know, I'd been with him for months, and I'd watched his body deteriorate, and he had this bag of clothes that we were just getting smellier, and, and, and he was losing things, and he was filthy, and his teeth were falling out, and he was explaining to me the, the experience of how you deteriorate in, in the wilderness. And I came home to all of my things. Kick the door open. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the, the Persian rug, and my leather chair, and my glass of scotch, and I came back to all my, my nice things. And in that moment, I felt ashamed. 
just at how rich I was. And I am not the guy that lectures you in this church. That's not my job. I think all of us, me included, are going to face these conflicting emotions and temptations like this. All of us, especially here, are going are to bounce from, from being terribly envious that someone has more than us and fearful that we'll never have enough and then ashamed that we have so much and, and conflicted and convicted about some of those things. Why are we going to feel like this? The answer is because Satan is at work. Satan wants you focused on the things. That's what you do you is all about. Look at verse 9. Satan knows the danger of things. If you forget, there's that word again, the Lord your God, and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Satan loves this. This is, this is like his marching orders. He's like, okay, all I need to do is make them forget. Satan's last argument in the, the lies of today is simply to point out to you that you have failed every single test. To point out to you that you're living in verse 9. You did grumble. You did hoard. You did work on your Sabbath. You did boast, claiming that you'd earned it all. You did envy, and you did wallow in your guilt. And above all, you did forget, because you did you, says Satan. You did all those things that I told you would make you comfortable, and <laughs> you're not comfortable, and now you're doomed, so you should give up, he says. And that would be true, except for one last thing, Jesus. Jesus is in the wilderness as well. And Jesus has no bread. He has nothing. Like them, the Israelites, he's in training. But instead of a promised land, he's headed to a cross. And he has absolutely nothing except for his God. Satan's aim is simply to pull Jesus away from that. And every one of us has failed, but he is not. Christ alone has won. Thus, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 says, He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. Christ is afflicted for us and with us, and he comforts us as well. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. God does not want you comfortable. He wants you comforted. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Thank you so much that you have been through the wilderness and that you, Lord Jesus, now offer to comfort us with that same comfort with which you were comforted. Lord Jesus, we've erred and strayed like lost sheep. We've hankered after things. We thought that a lot would make us 
happy. We thought a little would make us happy. We've looked at other people. We've felt envious. We've looked at what we've had and felt guilty. God, we've focused on ourselves. And the enemy has tried to make us forget. But you, Lord Jesus Christ, have come looking for us. And we thank you for that grace. We thank you for your victory in the wilderness, your victory on the cross, and the abundance you promise us now in your presence. In the name of Jesus. Amen.